0: Hello, monetization nation. Technology has enhanced the business world in innumerable ways. And it is largely because of technology that many businesses were able to stay afloat after the COVID-19 pandemic started. However, while technology can do good, it can also hold us hostage. Most people nowadays are constantly checking their email and social media. Ludovic Tendron said, technology should be your servant not your master. Damon Burton is the author of the book Outrank, which focuses on search engine optimization. Damon is the president of an SEO agency called SEO National that he has run for about 14 years. He writes for Forbes, where he serves on the Forbes Coaches Council. In today's episode, Damon Burton and I discuss how we can use systems and processes to our advantage by controlling technology and not letting it control us. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. I'm joined here today with Damon Burton. Damon is the author of the book, uh, Outrank, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Outrank It focuses on search engine optimization. He also runs an agency called SEO National that he has run for how many years?
1: Uh, We just hit the 14-year mark, so I'm rolling into year 15 here pretty soon.
0: And he writes for Forbes, where he serves on the Forbes Council. He's a father and a husband and uh, a really interesting guy. I'm really looking forward to this interview today. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. Looking forward to chatting.
0: All right. So before we go into deep stuff, I want to talk about passions. One of the topics we talk a lot about is connecting with people through passions. And I'm wondering if you could just share with us one of your passions.
1: Um, I am all, I, I'm pretty linear. I don't deviate into a lot of hobbies and tasks you know, I like, I like the standard stuff like traveling, but um as cliche as it sounds, the whole entrepreneurial thing is, is largely my hobby. And so it's my time is entirely between my family and, and business because business is is the part I like. And we'll, we'll probably get into this during the discussion. And you just touched on about relationships and passions. So anytime, like I we will probably talk about how I block out time for this and that and make sure nobody can get on my calendar during like my kids' school, certain hours and things like that. So I put my family first and then immediately behind that is like business. And so whenever I have any gap in something on my calendar, like let's say the kids fall asleep early and it's like eight o'clock and I'm not ready to go to bed at eight o'clock. Like I'm going to go work because that's the part of, of the entrepreneurial journey is the part that I like. So I can't sit and watch TV. I can't sit like, I'll listen to audiobooks. I'll work out and things like that, but I don't really get into hobbies too much. And I think I probably have a a further underlying reason behind that is because I want to cash out early. Like I want to go all in now. Um, you know, I'll be 40 this year and historically in the past, I kind of joked about retiring by 40. It might happen. So I think I'm just, I think I'm just all in right now because I enjoy the process. I enjoy doing things like this. Um, I enjoy webinars, podcasts, meeting people, And that contributes to the bottom line. So it's enjoyable and it grows the business. So that's just kind of where I spend my time outside of family.
0: Would you please share with us your entrepreneurial journey? Start at the beginning and and tell us the story.
1: Mm, If we want to go... As far back as I can recall, I would say it probably starts like junior high age, maybe 12, 13, something like that. Um, so when I, when I grew up, we were kind of lower middle class. There wasn't like this huge sob story, but you know, we didn't have any, any luxuries. And so when, when I would go into, let's say, I remember seventh grade, for example, um, I had a typing class. I freaking love typing class because because I had access to a computer, which I didn't have at home. And I I knew I likely wouldn't in any time soon. And so I would kind of embrace those opportunities to learn, um, learn computer, learn technology. And that kind of continued throughout junior high and high school. So ninth grade, they came out with this kind of like, quote unquote, little exclusive class where there were six or seven of us. And they started to come out with, graphic design builder things and they were super archaic compared to now but i would design like the school lunch menu (laughs) just like things like that that's cool and and then that carried into high school i remember in 10th grade you did your standard word processing kind of things and it was like the same thing as typing class like i really embraced it because it was an opportunity for me that i didn't get at home and then in 11th grade they came out with um an HTML class for the first time. So you think back then there was no WordPress, there was no Dreamweaver back yeah. then it was macro media and now it's Adobe, like none of that really existed. And so it was learning HTML by hand and kind of like a side note, fast forwarded now, I absolutely love that I went through that process because when you use those programs now, like Dreamweaver and WordPress, they don't the program doesn't know when something looks ugly. It just does whatever you tell it to do, and so having the skill set to understand HTML and CSS and like manually go in there and change things, I use that every day. You know, here twenty-something years later, so I learned HTML, at least the basics of it, and then my senior year of high school, it was kind of it was kind of like the junior high lunch menu class. Now in the senior year of high school, they invited a. a You know, half a dozen, a dozen students that knew HTML to do the the school districts websites. So now we're doing the county schools websites and like making the school lunch menu there, but now digitally and just little things like that. So that was how I first got exposed. And then there was kind of like a year or two gap. I, I went to college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, just took generals, um, studied sociology and psychology, um, then wanted bigger and better things and moved to downtown Salt Lake, the big city, relatively speaking. And so I went to a community college down there and then in the community college, they had, um, one of the electives was there. I could go get an internship with some sort of media company. I'm going to put a little asterisk there and come back to that in a minute. But then one of the other things was in a communications class, it said one of the projects was, Hey, we have to build an HTML website, but we're going to build it on a school server here's the sheet. You have to meet these minimum requirements. And so I got thinking about how much time I was going to spend on this little school project. And it would just be deleted off the school server later. And so I asked the professor, I said, can I buy a domain, do all the criteria, but put it on my own website and keep it? And he said, yeah, as long as it's live and we can access it, that's fine. So I bought a domain, uh, eliterides.com. So I still have the domain. There's nothing there now. I've just kind of archived it, but I was a big car enthusiast at the time. And so this was a website where as I would drive down the road and I would see other nice cars, I like think fast and furious kind of cars. Mm-hmm. And so this, I started this website two or three years before fast and furious came out. And so it started to pick up traction. I would like see somebody else driving down the road with a nice car and I'd wave them down. And I'd say, Hey, pull over, pull over. And surprisingly the majority of them would. And so oh. I'd go have a conversation with these guys and I'd, I'd keep a sheet, these sheets of paper in my car that said, you know what's your name, what's the year make and model of your car, what modifications have you done to it. And I'd build these little bios. I'd take those sheets back and make a little profile on Elite Rides. And then I added a message board and it just started growing in, in traffic. And so then I started to say, well, how do I how do I make this better? And and so that's when I really took a and a um an intentional interest in design. And then as it continued to grow and then fast and furious comes out, kind of grew the market more. Then I said, how do I monetize this? And so that's how I got into marketing. And then, and then I was the guy that did crappy websites on the side for a couple of years as I got better. And then at the point where, um, kind of made it a career out of it is I had one or two jobs where, where I was a designer, but then I had an opportunity where I said, I'm spending 80% of my time on a day job, but it's only producing about 50% of my income. I started to make enough on the side where I was doing enough websites regularly to, to provide a consistent income. And so I had to make, I made a decision at that point. I said, this seems about as calculated as a risk as I can take where it'll suck to, Chop off that income, but I can still pay my bills. At the time, it was just my wife and I were we were newly married. We didn't have any kids. We only had a mortgage and a car payment. That was it. And so we could still pay those bills if I eliminated the day job income. And so I I made the made the jump. Started you know filed my business entity. Started doing that more formally. And by freeing up that time, I think it only took me like three months to make that income back up by being able to dedicate more of that time. And so from there uh, I was kind of a solopreneur for a a year or two. Then I brought on my first remote employee and then I had probably four between years, I don't know, three through five. And then where the next kind of blip on the radar of this entrepreneur journey was, I had three things happen at, kind of in the same window. One was I was listening to emith Revisited. Two, I was listening to 4-Hour Week, And then three, I had a VC company ask me if I would consider consolidating and them acquiring me and rolling into this other marketing company. So what I learned by going to this VC discussion was that if you ever want to potentially sell, um, buyers want to know where the fire is so they can pour more fuel on it. So where are your sales coming from? And then they want a business that has documented processes so they can just take the keys and run. So I ultimately declined any further negotiations with the BC company. That's a whole other story. It was just didn't feel right, but learning that. And at the same time, e Revisited teaches you to build a business that's dependent on processes and not people. And then four-hour week, I would say listen to emoth first, four-hour work week, second, because four-hour work week tells you how to kind of like cut corners and hack things. But you don't want to start hacking things until you know what those processes are. So it was important to listen to emoth first, then four-hour work week, and then go through that VC discussion. And then after that, I said, well, why don't I have more people? Why don't why don't I document this better? I had processes, but halfway in my head, somewhere on a spreadsheet, somewhere on a doc. And so I took the next year to document everything from the ground up. Um, It freaking sucked. It took like two to three hours every other day for a year, but it was the best thing ever because after that we became immediately scalable. I brought on more people. We started getting big contracts and I could confidently bid on them because I knew I could just push a button in our CRM scale the tasks. And as long as I hired talent that would read instruction in the fall directions. Like we couldn't screw it up because I took the time to document things so granularly. Um, so then, then I, that's, that's probably the majority of the story. And then here we are, year 14, 1415 and have continued that same process now where every time I have an opportunity to document something I do, Um, benefits to scaling. I just hired, you know, a new kind of VP that's ideally going to replace me and get me out of production. And, and that way I can continue just to do the things that I like, like these, these webinars, podcasts, and uh, just kind of share my experience and go from there.
0: That's a great story. And, And you've talked about retiring. What would be your exit strategy from this? What would be your next step?
1: Um, you know, like what would I do if I exit, what would be uh, the or, next phase of my how life? How would
0: you actually, you'd probably, you'd sell your agency and
1: yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to, that's kind of like the internal struggle I got going on right now is do you, you, you've taken all the time to build this well-oiled machine. I'm still passionate about what I do. Do I just ride the gravy train and and continue enjoying building the relationships and repeating the process? Or do I just take a break. Like part of me, like, I don't have a necessity to leave. I enjoy what I do still. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy the opportunities and networking that this business has brought, but then, but kind of in the back of, you know, this other whisper in the back of my head is, is the, on the adventurous side. And it's like, why not just start over? Why don't you just do something dramatically different? So I don't know. It's, um, I'm still trying to figure it out because I don't need to or necessarily want to move on. Um, but I also recognize the opportunity that there is to do so. So I don't know um, if I sell, I'll probably do nothing for three to six months. Um, just, I, I think all of us that are entrepreneurs lose ourselves a little, at least a little bit in the process. And I'm, uh, even though I'm passionate about what I do, I'm sure I've lost a little bit of Damon along the way. So I'll probably just do nothing and see, See what part of me comes back, and and uh, I think that will point me in a more clear direction.
0: Yeah. What is the greatest home run you've hit in your career? the The biggest success story that you've had. Mm, I could probably
1: answer it two ways. One on the business, financial, tangible end, and then the other. Um, Answer the latter first. The other is probably just the uh, satisfaction and pride in in building something that is the way you hoped it would be. Um, And what I mean by that is when I started the business before my wife and I had kids, the theory was grind it out now while I can before I have kids um, because I wanted to always be present. I wanted to always have the freedom of, like on my calendar, I block off roughly seven 30 to eight 45, because depending on the day, if it's nice, nice weather, whatever, I'll have breakfast and I'll walk the kids to school. Like I don't want anybody to have the ability to get on my calendar during that time slot. And I have the freedom to do that. And then I do the same thing like later in the evenings, like three o'clock to 4 PM, I block it off. So if it's good weather, I can walk to the school, walk the kids home or, you know, today it's snowing, I can drive there, whatever. So having the freedom to do that and know that we're still delivering because I have a good team that I built, um, you know, maybe another thing, what I'm about to say, maybe this opens up more conversation, but having the comfort and the freedom of not having email on my phone and not having social media on my phone and not giving my clients my phone number and and being able to confidently separate work and personal life while still growing both of them and not having any hesitations or concerns that I feel like I'm missing out on one or the other. Um, There's a lot of pride that comes with, with building something like that, that works in a way that you had hoped and other people would dream of. So that's probably one answer. The other answer that a lot of the entrepreneurs would, you know, the the monetary side, the wins there Um, to come to mind. One was working with the Utah jazz. Um, They have a retail division called team store. And so the goal with that was to increase their sales on, on jerseys and hats and merchandise. And so that was cool because I'm in Utah. Um, I remember I wrote a blog post a while back about how I remember going to my first jazz game when we have like the mini leagues here called junior jazz. And so I remember being in junior jazz when I was, I don't even know, like eight, nine, 10, um, and they played the Denver nuggets. And so like, I remember very clearly like going to those little moments as a kid, and then just how crazy that is to, to know that they're a client, like as an adult.
0: So the jazz was cool. And then, um, probably like the great team to be a fan of this year, the, as, as we speak, the jazz are the, have the best record in the whole NBA. Uh, yeah. Good year to be a jazz fan.
1: Yeah. It's crazy to see, um, you know, the jazz have this, this legacy of, always being so close, <laughs> but never quite being able to get finish line. So it's cool to see when they're on, you know, these runs like this and, and you hope they can, they can end up coming, you know, it's like the, the, the teams that win their first super bowl, you know, it'd be cool to see the jazz win their first championship. So, yeah. Um, I think probably kind of the, the last answer on, on kind of like the financial wins is I remember when we got like our first five figure a month reoccurring retainer. So we got a client that was like 10, 11, 12 grand per month. And, um, that was right after the story I just gave about documenting processes. So I wouldn't have felt comfortable bidding on that. Had I not known that I would be able to immediately bring in talent to fill the gap of the level of fulfillment that we would have to come to, to play at that level for that client. So knowing that I documented processes and we were able to roll that out, um, confidently. And I keep under emphasizing confidently because, you know, there's other agencies out there or entrepreneurs that might say, well, that's a big contract. I'm just going to bid on it anyway. But then if you don't have the ability to fulfill on it, like, what's that going to do to your reputation later when they, when they catch up and they realize that you're not delivering at the level that you promised. So that was really cool to be able to a bid on that and B get the contract and C actually deliver on it at, at that type of scale for the first time.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, you, you mentioned about no email and no social media on your phone. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you do that and the system and processes that you've had to set up to be able to do that?
1: Yeah, the, um, there, there was a pretty clear moment when when I kind of embraced that. It was right before, it was about a year or two before I actually started my business. So I worked for this um gentleman. He was super successful, but really toxic to work for. And um I, I was out at dinner with my wife. It was like a Friday, 7 p.m. And he he called me and I didn't answer because it's Friday and 7 p.m. And then he he followed that up with some texts and then um I don't know if the listeners remember the T-Mobile sidekick phones where they had like the little flip tile screen. It was kind of like one of the first smartphones. And so I had one of those and because it was new and cool, I had email on it. And so then he started emailing me. And, um, so right there at that moment, I just, I said, this is never going to happen again. And so I deleted email. And so that was probably about 16, 17 years ago. And I have stayed true to it I've never put email back on my phone. And so as as technology has evolved and social media has become a big part of it. Like I'm super active on LinkedIn and Facebook, but anytime I'm on there, I'm on my desktop. Like I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. um, I don't have email on my phone. um, And then even the email that's on my desktop, I've disabled automatic um, downloads and I've disabled the doc notifications. And so the only time I get emails is when I manually go in there once or twice a day and push the button. And so that way I don't have the distractions because every time you push that button, for me, it's like opening Pandora's box. I'm going to get a hundred emails and then I don't know which direction they're going to take me in. And and then of course there's going to be something that either, um, I'm more interested in, or like, there's always going to be a shiny object that distracts you. And so I just don't even want to present that opportunity for that to happen. Now, a lot of people, probably their next question or what they're thinking is, well, how do you manage a business? How do you, how do you maintain relationships? it's, it's way more simple than you think the, it boils down to basically it's not weird unless you make it weird. So all my clients, I set the expectations. Like when we are in engagements, I say, you know, we're really efficient at this. We're going to set expectations this way. You're going to get intros from the team that do this. And we have everything built out in a process where at day one, when I fire off in the CRM, we launch a new project. It tells all my team members, send this email at this time, send this intro at this time, set these expectations at this time. And then we don't have to always be available. And so in the contract, it says we're not available after five o'clock. We're not available on weekends. We don't do launches on Fridays because if anything is needed to follow up, we're not going to be here on the weekend. Um, like my phone off to the side here, we have VoIP phones that go to the team. The auto attendant shuts off at five, like you cannot get through. Um, I don't open my laptop on the weekends. So I've made very clear hard boundaries and I've never had a problem with it because I set the expectations with the clients that, Hey, we're not available these times, but that's okay because we're proactively doing this and this and this and this and this, and you communicate and set those expectations. And it's never been a problem
0: because you have systems and processes for effective communication. You don't have the emergency communications at the undesirable times
1: yeah it just proactively eliminates that from even being a possibility
0: thank you so much damon for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today here are some of my key takeaways from this episode number one we can be the masters of our technology instead of allowing it to master us number two take advantage of the opportunities in school and other places to learn about your passions number three process documentation is a key to being able to scale the business. Number four, process documentation can save you time and make your business more appealing when you're ready to sell. Number five, build your life to make time for the things you love, as Damon has done with his family and business. If you enjoyed this interview and wanna learn more about Damon or connect with him or his business, you can find him on LinkedIn, and at seonational.com, and we'll include links to both of those in the blog post for this episode. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation YouTube channel or podcast, and number three. Please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. How have you used systems and processes to effectively manage your business? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining us for this episode and best wishes on your monetization endeavors. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.